we created a one-year curriculum where they meet every couple of weeks to go through different key things that we knew were important to entrepreneurs. And then we started to make connections to them. And some became our suppliers. In some cases, we were connecting them to big companies. In some cases, we were introducing them to, uh, to capital. So it's something that we've really been passionate about. And, and it's made a difference. We've got some real good success stories that have come out of it in, such, in a real short period of time. Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insight into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in. This episode is brought to you by Higher Ground, Higher Ground is a technology company whose mission is to bridge the wealth gap through access to procurement opportunities. Higher Ground is making the enterprise ecosystem more viable, profitable, and competitive by clearing the path for minority-led, women-led, LGBT-led, and veteran-led small businesses to contribute to the global economy as suppliers to enterprise organizations. For more information on getting started, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E-G-R-O-U-N-D.io. Now on to the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. I'm Matt Colicello, in for Adam Moore, and I'm here with Chloe Guidry-Reed. And in today's episode, we're joined by Lee Henderson, assurance partner with Ernst & Young. Lee is the America's EY private leader, working with teams across the EY Americas area, North, Central, and South America, and Israel, to support high growth entrepreneurs and private middle market companies. Lee is also active in Chicago's ecosystem and is a part of the board of the Big Shoulders Fund and a member of the Economic Club of Chicago. Welcome to the show, Lee. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Yes, Lee, we're so happy to have you. Well, first, I want to hear just a little bit about you, your background, and sort of, you know, your path to EY? So I'm, I'm sort of what, they, what we call an EY, a lifer. I've been with <laughs> uh, with the firm now for 27 years, believe it or not, right out of school. And um, this nice. is my fourth, I'm in my fourth city now with with, uh, with EY. I started in San Jose in the Bay Area. I was a Bay Area teenager. Um, and, uh, and then New York, I spent uh, some time in New York, spent four years in London. And then I've been in Chicago now for about 12 years. So um, from a personal side, even sort of my path to EY, I am, um, I was born in London, raised in Jamaica until I was about 13 years old before I got to the Bay Area. So so I've been nice. sort of I've bumped around a bit and seen a few cities along the way. Very, very, nice. very you, nice. you are a cosmopolitan person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So now in your latest role as the private leader, tell us a little bit about that role and what, what that means inside the organization and what it means externally for your clients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's funny, Chloe, yeah, you said it, it organizationally and externally, because sometimes, you know, we, yes. use, you know, we use terminologies internally. It doesn't always translate. Jargon. Yes, yeah. So and your roles can look very different internally that's right. versus what you're that's doing right. externally. Yes. Yeah, that's right. So the assurance partner side of it that, that, um, that Matt mentioned at the beginning is is sort of if you think about like sort of my my trade and my practice within the firm, um, I would say that's my I'm an audit partner, right? So mm -hmm. I serve um, I serve clients from public private clients taking companies through IPOs and so on. My role as, as a private leader is a, is a leadership role within the firm, and and what that well, I'll say what that translates to externally as you ask the question, Chloe is is middle market. So think about 
companies, everything from kind of startup through about $3 billion in revenue, roughly, we think about as sort of middle market. And it's across the Americas, as, as Matt described, the Americas. So you think about all of our entrepreneur, I, I work with entrepreneurs all the time. You know, if you think about going through an IPO, you, you hear these things about SPAC transactions, venture capitalists, private equity, that entire community that supports startup companies through high skill, high growth companies is sort of what we talk about when we think about middle market. Um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I oversee that practice um, within the mm-hmm. firm. And, and it is, it's an area I'm passionate about because as, as you all know, it's, it's, um, it's kind of where the magic happens. It, it's, it's constantly moving. Um, no yeah. day is ever the same. So it's uh, pretty cool patch to, to be involved in. In that world, can you talk about how you kind of function as a connector between all of these different parties? Like, what does that look like in practice? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, so we've got, we have a few uh, entrepreneur programs. So there, mm. there's a, there's kind of a formal part of it. That's just a kind of cheat code, if you will, because um, we have our entrepreneur of the year program. We've been doing this for, you know, 30, 40 years. I really didn't start this. I'm fortunate to be involved in it. So we have our Entrepreneur of the Year program, which is we recognize entrepreneurs all over the world, literally across um, 60 countries um, Mm -hmm. every year. In fact, in November, we bring about a thousand entrepreneurs together, CEOs together um, for purposes of connecting. Then we've got Mm -hmm. a program um, about 15 years ago, we started to focus on women entrepreneurs. So we've got that program that we recognize women entrepreneurs. And I'm happy to spend more time on these specifics if, if you like. Then two years ago, um, I'm now the executive sponsor for a program we started two years ago called Entrepreneur Access Network, which is a business accelerator for Black and Hispanic entrepreneurs. So you take all that, right? So you, you take all that, Matt, those programs, and you say, well, Lee, you work with private equities and big companies and so on and so on and so on right? They buy and sell from these companies. So naturally, my connection point to, you know, having the firm as a resource, we're connected to the big companies, to the person that wants to start a business. And so we're constantly just making introduction and connecting. And especially Mm -hmm. when you start to think about capital, you know, private equities and VCs and angel investors are always looking for the right companies. And and because they believe in us, believe in our brand, they know that we're, you know, we're reputable, we're connected to reputable Mm -hmm. companies. They oftentimes come to us and say, hey, we're looking to invest in X, Y, and Z. Can you help us make connections? So um, it's a a part of my job that's, that's a lot of fun. That's very nice. That's very nice. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about the programs that you have for Black and Latino founders, as well as some of the women-owned um, business entrepreneurs as well, since that is the majority of our audience, how they might be yeah. able to really benefit from opportunities like EY and the programming that you guys have. Yeah, yeah. So I mentioned um, our Entrepreneur Access Network, or um, we mm-hmm. call it EAN. Um, so a few years ago, and it was actually, we actually started this, announced this before 2020. And a lot of folks, um, when we mm-hmm. talked about it, things that we actually started it as a result of what happened, everything that right. happened in 2020. Right. We, we actually announced it in 2019. What we said is, so we said we have this incredible platform. Um, we're a big, big company. We're really, really connected. And we see this sort of marginalized community of entrepreneurs, of Black and, and Latino entrepreneurs. We said, like, we got to do better. We've got to figure out how to lean into that group and connect them to um, big companies. So we simply took the platform we have and the reputation we have around entrepreneurs and did an outreach and said, hey, look, um, Black and Latino founders, if you sort of meet this criteria, and the criteria was was pretty straightforward. It was, it was sort mm-hmm. of, 
an established business. Look, there are a lot of black and Hispanic businesses that right. they know their stuff. They're established. They're just missing like that one little thing, right? They're missing mm. that connection to social capital. So we launched in sort of an application process and we went through, we sort of filtered through and we chose about uh, about 100. It was first year was 100. Both years was about 100 to 120 companies. We brought them into our ecosystem. We linked them up with mentors who were like EY leaders. Um, we created a curriculum, sort of a one-year curriculum where they meet every couple of weeks to go through different key things, sort of, things that we knew were important to entrepreneurs. And then we started to make connections to them. We, in, in some yeah. cases, some of them became our suppliers. In some cases, we were connecting them to big companies. In some cases, we were introducing them to uh, to capital. So it's something that we've, we've really been passionate about and and and, and, it's, and it's made a difference. We've got some real good success stories that have come out of it in, such, in a real short period of time. Are these, just out of curiosity, are these Black and Hispanic entrepreneurs in every industry? Is it a really wide distribution? Every industry. Yeah, every industry and every part of the, um, the country. You know, uh, Matt, at the beginning, the first year, we did a sort of pilot. We picked six, um, 10 cities, uh, Atlanta. You know, the ones you would think of, Atlanta, Chicago, Detroit, um, the coast, and so on. So we had 10 cities and then, and we saw this overwhelming response from it, from, from companies in other cities that were hearing about, that was hearing about it says, Hey, wait a minute. I'm in New Orleans, <laughs> New Orleans. Like what about me? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we expanded it this year. So it's all it's across the entire country and it's every industry. It, it really, the only real, if you think about it, Matt, the only real factor we use to say, uh, do you qualify is, we want companies that feel that like, look, you've got a sustainable, potentially scalable business and you really believe in this. You want this to be much bigger. Right. Um, and, and, but there's something that you're missing and we can help you uh, fill that gap. I think that that's incredible because, you know, so many organizations really struggle even within the supplier diversity space. Like how do we develop some of our diverse owned businesses and vendors and suppliers that we're already actively engaged with? They may not have the capacity, but leveraging, so just listening to how you're utilizing a lot of the leadership already existing at EY to then do some of this development, I think is just so brilliant. And I think it's something that a lot of companies need to think about. You know, you've got all these, you know, brilliant people inside your organization. These development programs don't have to be so externally focused as long as you're helping these businesses grow and fill some of those gaps that they have. That's right. And, and you know, Chloe, what we found is, you know, we we always we talk about capital um, a bit. Mm-hmm. And there's that word is really important um, in this right. because there's the the real capital of sort of funding. Right. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of these businesses lack funding. And, and as you just alluded, you know, funding is a couple of different ways. There's investing in companies, but it's also being a, a, um, a customer and, and, buying, and buying from customers mm-hmm. to create um, to create capital. And what we found is that uh, we've just really challenged through influence, but also directly challenged a lot of big companies to just be a little bit more disruptive to the way you buy and, um, mm-hmm. and, and how you source and who you give a chance to. And the other side of that was the social capital. The social capital, a lot of these companies just don't have these, these founders, they just don't have a network. Right. And, and, you know, we always say network is net worth, right? And, yes. um, and start to really make connections. And all of a sudden they, that you introduce them to all the right people and look, they got their stuff together, right? They just need to get yeah. connected to, um, you know, to the right people. So we found that that like really, really magic, um, magic happens when you just start bringing those companies into your social network, into the network that we already um, have. 
that exists. So it, it's, it's, it's worked really well. We talk a lot about kind of systemic change here, right? So if the goal is economic equity or equity in business opportunities, how do you seed these kind of programs in other big organizations? How do you how do you get this to be something that EY isn't just doing this kind of connecting, but that that really kind of transforms the whole the whole ecosystem, the whole economy? Well, it's a great question. Well, you know, Matt, it's funny when we when we started this, right? And and I think sometimes it's just some of this stuff becomes kind of infectious, I would say, or um, you know, people start to see it and say, "Well, what are you doing?" When we started it, we intentionally made a big, big splash about it, not because we were trying to say, "Look at us, look at us, what we're doing," but we made a big splash about it because we thought it was important that we wanted we wanted others, our peers, our our you know, our competitors, our clients to see what we were doing and also lean in. And it's interesting because we started getting getting calls from. I mean, we were on the phone with. Every big, every other big brand, big company that you can think of saying, hey, what's this thing you guys are doing? How are you guys wow. doing it? Would, you know, would you mind if we and would you mind people would all, were almost apologetic? Like, do you mind if we actually take a little bit of this? Right? No, no, no. Like, we want this. Repeated. Yeah. We, we, there's, there's, there's not enough work we can do. I mean, there's more. Yeah, than it benefits the whole ecosystem. Benefits as well. the whole ecosystem. Yeah. yeah. So, so we found that a couple of things happened. One was we were on the phone a lot, talking to a lot of our major clients about how to embed something similar into into their organization. We also were getting people calling and saying, "Hey, that co- those companies. By the way, we have a list of these companies on our website. That list of that list of companies. Can you send them to us? Um, uh, so we can." can we access them? Can we just call them? I mean, um, and we had investors also, we had some of the private equity community, VC community saying, hey, we've been trying to invest in this demographic of companies for a long time and we can't find them. Now I'll say that (laughs) my response to that sometimes is like, really? But hey, look, we got a list for you. So we started bringing them together. So, so we just found it was, it was as, as crazy as it sounds, it's kind of, you know, um, word of mouth. But again, we had the advantage of we're, we're just because of our scale, we're so connected to so many different companies that it was easy to um, sort of advertise this, bring this, um, bring this into, you know, others. And, 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 you know, when you're doing good, there's a lot of people out there that want to do good. They just sometimes just need a little nudge. So it was, so that's, that's, that's the way we, we saw it work. And there's a lot of stories of, of just different aspects of EAN that's ended up in, you know, some of our clients um, as well. Yeah. So it's pretty encouraging to see, um, to see that blossom. It is. I mean, and with these programs, I mean, I think it's obvious to everyone that, you know, either knows EY or is is directly working with you guys that obviously diversity, equity, and inclusion is a huge focus of just your organizational strategy. But can you talk a little bit about the top-down approach from EY around diversity, equity, inclusion, and, you know, just your thoughts? Obviously, you're very vocal about DE&I as well, um, but how that just sort of runs through the thread of the organization. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, well, Chloe, I'll talk about the top-down approach, but I think also most recently, there's there's a bottoms-up approach that's really influencing the top mm. as well. And I'll, and I, I and love I'll, that. I'll, I'll, talk, I'll, I'll talk about that. But from a top-down perspective, you know, first of all, I've been really, really fortunate. We We've been, as a firm, just in terms of our own organization, we've been pretty vocal internally about DNI for a long, long time. You know, we've got 300,000 plus people around the world and we're a people organization. So we found a, a long time ago that it was just important to try to embed DNI just in terms of just so we can be innovative and different and so on and so on. So 
we've had that sponsorship um, for a long time. And I think that sponsorship is important. In fact, going back to the question that Matt asked about um, um, the different organizations, one of the things that we've often challenged those organizations with was say, how do you guys do this? We don't know how to do this. We would say, well, who do you have sitting around your ta- the table, the decision-making table? Right. And are you, are you sure that that group understands the challenges that whatever the, the whatever the problem that you're trying to address, whatever the demographic that you're trying to reach, do they understand that? So oftentimes it was really a reflection to look and say, let's first look at us mm-hmm. and yeah. look around the table and say, are we diverse enough in whatever we're trying to do? And let's challenge that. Let's make sure we have other qualified, diverse individuals that are decision makers. And, right. and you know, and, and having a seat at the table, for me, I'm fortunate because I have a seat at the table. I am, you know, a black professional with a seat at the table. So naturally I bring something else that can say, hey, right. we thought about this or, hey, Lee, do you understand how we can do this and whatnot? So I think it starts there, really sitting around who are your decision makers. Now, the other piece of it, you know, Chloe, I think has been really interesting. You know, having two daughters, one is a, a college sophomore and the other is a high school senior. They're ready. They're focused on different things. And we're seeing this from our younger folks coming in, into the mm-hmm. companies as well. They're saying we want to go somewhere. Yes, we would love to get paid. But it's really not about that as much anymore. It's starting to balance in terms of we want to understand what the culture is, what is the mission, what are you guys, what is this company doing for um, the you know the betterment of our society and our country, and so on. So companies are are seeing this pressure in terms of in order to attract talent and retain talent, they have to carve out a piece of like social good. Like you've got to be mm-hmm. doing something or, or these, these, uh, these younger sort of the early 20 year olds, if, if, um, if I may say, they're looking at it as, look, if, if you guys aren't really doing something that's aligned with a real mission here, I can go get paid somewhere else. So that's creating this, uh, that's creating a good pressure, I would say, on sort of the, the, um, the top. So you got the sandwich of younger folks demanding it. And the leaders are saying, hey, look, we've got to we got to be in this game. So we, we've talked about the Entrepreneur Access Network at EY. Can you talk to us about the Big Shoulders Fund and Economic Club of Chicago? Those are not part of EY, but those are part of your engagement in the community in the region. It is. It, it, they, they are. And, and as well, um, another another um, board that just joined most recently, a few months ago, is the McCormick Foundation, um, which is a big foundation in Chicago, which is also focused on sort of the underserved community, if you will. You know, mm-hmm. Matt, I, there, there's a quote um, that I live by. The, I say this quote probably every every morning and probably a couple times a day. And it was a J- Jackie Robinson um, once said, "Life is not important except for the impact it has on other lives." And mm-hmm. and I think it's it's something that uh, mm-hmm. to me it guides me in everything that I try to do. And I would say with respect to Big Shoulders and McCormick specifically. Those two organizations are really, really focused on uh, um, the underserved community in Chicago. Big Shoulders, for example, they fund inner city Catholic schools and programming around inner city Catholic schools. Mm -hmm. Uh, Funny, you talk about entrepreneurship. Five years ago, we started an entrepreneurship program with junior high school students. And we put mentors from our firm into these schools, create these entrepreneur teams, create ideas, products, business plan. And we have this huge kind of shark tank um, um, Shark Tank type wow. moment um, cool. at the end at the end of the year, and to see and all it does, you said, okay, are there going to be billion dollar ideas coming out of that? Don't know. Maybe I would I, I would never say no to that. But what it does is that it's been opening the minds of a lot of these younger um, younger students to just 
entrepreneurship in general to think about that. Um, the economic, um, sort of the McCormick Foundation does something similar. A lot of funds focus on inner city, um, uh, inner city communities. And the Economic Club of Chicago is, you know, it's a group of executives around Chicago that, uh, that get together for programming and think about different ways to sort of enhance the economic position of the city. Um, really, that's the best way to describe mm. it. So, so I try not to do too, too much. I try to get a couple different things to get involved in and get really deep, you know, sort of in them and get involved. So those are three organizations that I'm really, really passionate about the work that they do and their mission. I love that. I love that. It's such a, a great intersection. Um, yeah, yeah. See these kids, see these kids, Chloe. I mean, it is remarkable what, mm. uh, you know, if you look at some of the neighborhoods, and areas where these kids come from and how sort of sheltered in a way of, um, of, of the opportunities um, that they have. And you put them in front of, um, of just really kind of an op- without anything without borders and say, hey, let's think about some ideas and stuff. And you just guide them. The stuff, it, it, is, it is a watershed moment when you hear them present to a room full of, some cases sort of 60 to 100 people about a particular service or product and a marketing plan and the pricing plan and how they're going to um, bring this stuff to market and why it's important to, I mean, it is just amazing. And the fact that they're going to carry that, you know, sort of for the rest of their lives, because, you know, mm. these things stick with them, just, mm-hmm. it's, it's just really um, impactful. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's just, it's all about exposure, right? It, I mean, everything is, and it's, it's very difficult to be something that you can't see. Exactly. So having that opportunity to see executives and to someone to kind of guide you through how this should look, I think is just so impactful. It's impactful for their lives. It's impactful for just creating a pipeline potentially of next generation talent for different organizations, even beyond just EY, but just the ripple effect of just the impact in that in the local community, I think is also something that we often miss because, you know, giving these opportunities afford other opportunities that we just may never even get the opportunity to see that develop for these kids. So I just think that that's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. So I want to just um, end with just kind of talking a little bit about how, you know, minority businesses and some of the challenges that they've had, um, just some advice that you may have as, as the EY, you know, practice leader and some of the things and programming that you've created and now obviously now oversee, there's some uniqueness. And so if there's any advice that you have for the small business community, what would that be? Well, well, I would say um, there's advice to impact the small business community, advice for, for just any listener and advice specifically for the entrepreneurs. You know, I think there's, there's, there's a couple um, things. We're, we're at a really, really important point right now. And, and I'll mm-hmm. say, you know, if you, if you go back and think about um, sort of pre-pandemic, you look at sort mm-hmm. of specific Black and, and Hispanic businesses, they've always been a disparity, right, in terms of level of success, access, um, and mm-hmm. so on. You get to the pandemic, and all entrepreneurs um, struggled during the pandemic. But the issues with the Black and Hispanic um, community, we have numbers that support that, that it exacerbated their issues, right, because they had less cushion, less sort of working capital and uh, balance, right. small balance sheets. And then you get to 2020 um, with all the, you know, the social injustice and awareness that happened in 2020. That was really 
that there it was some uh, some negative in that but there was some positive in that as well the positive in that was the, some of the awareness that came out of that so in 21 we actually did a survey um chloe we did a survey just to see like test the pulse and say like how are these companies doing with all this awareness and all this noise around you know helping you know black and hispanic businesses at the time mostly black businesses we actually saw that in 21 these companies said that they experienced significant revenue growth just because of the all the awareness um, that was happening. Big companies was, were collaborating more. Investment dollars were coming their way. Now, this is all relative, right? This is on a small right. base, but was significantly increased. And then this last year, we did a follow-up survey. In this current year, I should say, to say, okay, let's see if this actu- is actually lasting. Is this still working out? And what we saw was the numbers are still positive, but there's a lot of anxiety in this community about the attention is starting to wane. And as a result, you're starting to see less collaboration. In fact, 50% of the companies we surveyed last year said that big codes were collaborating with them. This year, that dropped to 34%. If you look at Black businesses specifically, that dropped to 19%, mm-hmm. right? So what it shows is that you have this awareness that created this really a good flow. And then because the awareness is waning a little bit, it's starting to create a place where we got to do, there has to be action, right? There needs to be aware. There was awareness is turned into action. So there's three things I always say um, to the broader group about how do we support this? One is just consumers. We got to be more intentional, right? I mean, consumers have to be, we got to be really intentional about if we're really trying to do this, our wallets. I mean, we, we have a lot of of power as a buying power with consumers. And, you know, with an, if you're, that's consumers, if you're an investor, Again, are you different? Have you thought about sort of disrupting the way you've always investing, invested? Bring the right decision makers around the table. Understand what the challenges are, and go in these um, into this group and really invest intentionally. Invest in this community, and then the, the third and the big big spending power comes from the big corporate um, companies. Big companies spend a lot of money with suppliers. And they've really got to go in and really kind of figure out how to disrupt and and help these companies, invest in these companies, give them a chance to be suppliers and vendors. And a lot of that, what I find, what I've seen, Chloe, is that sometimes big companies sort of hide behind this message of scale. They say, well, I would do business with XYZ, but they don't have the scale. They can't deliver 10. Well, of course they can't deliver 10,000. But have you thought about going in and mentoring them and say, okay, what are you doing? How are you doing it? We do this every day. We have two or three different companies that are doing the same thing. How about you guys form a co-op together, create the scale, that you can actually now um, now serve me. So I think yeah. big companies really have to think about how do we actually disrupt the way we buy and the way we look at our it. suppliers because they can make a big difference. But for the entrepreneurs specifically, I would just say for minority entrepreneurs, just be bold, have a lot of pride, and do not think of your company as a small business too much. Yes, it, there's a definition of what a small business is, but to start to think about, you know, the five-year plan and the 10-year plan and how, you know, and how much this business has potential and scale and lean into what the gaps are to making that and then go find and find the find the social circles and find the organizations like us that are helping those companies. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, one thing that you didn't mention that I just want to share with you is that um, Higher Ground actually participated in the Ripples program. So I know that that's not underneath your your view, but it was very impactful for us. So definitely you've got someone over here, you know, the higher ground team supports all of the things that you guys are doing across yes. the organization. So it's, it's very impactful. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I appreciate your, your involvement in that as well. 
Yes, yes, yes. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Lee. Be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn. And if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to leave us a review and check out our previous shows. Stay tuned for next time. Thank you, Lee. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. We are grateful for the time you spend with us in participating in these conversations. Please review and rate and share our show as we are focused on growing awareness in the supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity space. If you'd like more information, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E ground dot I-O. Thank you for being here and we look forward to seeing you next week.